This is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Nash Tsunami podcast. This week, we are offering four conversations from episode 52, predicting long-term outcomes using MR elastography. In this conversation, Professor Alina Allen of the Mayo Clinic discusses her team's recent publication in hepatology titled MRE for Prediction of Long-Term Progression and Outcome in Chronic Liver Disease. The paper explores using MRE to predict cirrhosis in patients whose fibrosis has not yet progressed to that stage, decompensation in compensated cirrhotic, and transplantation cancer or death in decompensated cirrhotics. After sharing her results, she notes the consistency between these results and earlier NAFLD-based results. And toward the end, Stephen Harrison asks about specific subpopulations for which the paper might present findings. This paper is one more key building block in the case for moving beyond biopsy as an endpoint measure in drug development and patient management. It's worth a serious listen. So sit back, enjoy, learn, and when you're done, join the discussion on our LinkedIn and Facebook discussion groups. Please uh, take us through your uh, your article. Take five, seven minutes and do that. Alina Allen. Yeah, thank you so much for, for giving us the, the opportunity to talk. I'll preface by saying that the largest part of this work in this specific paper, maybe I should mention it, the paper is MRE for Prediction of Long-Term Progression and Outcome in Chronic Liver Disease. This is a retrospective study from Mayo Clinic. I am one of the authors. The senior author is Dr. Sudakar Venkatesh. He is a prominent radiologist from Mayo Clinic. And the first author is Dr. Olga Gittiner, who was my research fellow a year or so ago, is a very promising internal medicine resident now. So this paper was recently published in Hepatology, and this is an extension of what we had worked on in a specific NAFLD population. This paper expands it to liver disease of all etiologies. And what the question this paper is trying to answer is, can we use liver stiffness measurement by MRE to predict heart outcomes? And this means cirrhosis in those who do not have cirrhosis at their initial MRE. And in those who have cirrhosis but have compensated stage, can we predict decompensation? And lastly, in those who have decompensated cirrhosis, can we predict outcomes, which in this population is largely death or liver transplantation? So this includes not only fatty liver disease, but chronic liver disease of all etiologies. And this has taken advantage of the large historical data we have in the database using MRE, which, as you may know, was implemented in practice in 2007, starting here at Mayo Clinic. So in this specific paper, we looked at the first two to three years of using MRE, so between 2007 and 2009, and we followed these people up to 2020. So we have a very long opportunity of time to look at specific outcomes. And these outcomes were abstracted from individual chart review, not ICD code-based. So really looking into details into every person's historical progression over time. We had a total of over 1,200 people that are included in this fashion. And the large part of liver disease etiologies was viral hepatitis, which is not surprising for those times. There were over 400 people with hepatitis C and hepatitis B, followed by NAFL. There were over 300 people with fatty liver disease. And then the other etiologies, which would be alcohol-related liver disease, cholestatic liver diseases, and other. And these people 
were separated in these three groups. And I think the main results that uh, we found were that if we look at liver stiffness measurement by MRE as a predictor of outcomes in the definition that I mentioned before, it had a very good accuracy to predict the best accuracy actually being in those who do not have cirrhosis, which are the people who I think at this time were not quite sure how to follow, how often to monitor, or how to best predict their outcomes. As, as Stephen mentioned earlier, even for F2s, now we have very little data in terms of what percentage at what time can we predict. And if we look at that specific population alone, using MRE had an accuracy with a, with a statistic of 0.82 predict future outcomes. And these are 8 to 10 year follow-up on a, on a median. So when we looked at different other covariates that would help LSM to have improvement in accuracy prediction, there was not one that stood out to say that it is better than, than liver stiffness measurement. In the population who has compensated cirrhosis, the prediction was a bit less than that in non-cirrhotic populations, but liver stiffness measurement still stands as a very good predictor of outcomes. It had the lowest performance and decompensated state. And I think that's not surprising because in those with hepatic decompensation, the liver function is probably telling us more than the liver stiffness. And this is why we use MELD score for liver transplantation priority and so on. So in that particular population, we found that liver stiffness measurement is not that useful. And I don't think it's used in clinical practice currently if a patient already has a decompensating event that we know of. The last thing I'll mention before we open to the discussion is, again, the emphasis of what a biomarker can tell us is what I would draw as probably the most important piece of this paper and the previous paper as well. It's not a one cutoff or a two cutoff with a gray zone type of situation. It is a number that we can use in practice to individualize patients' management or counseling to use that stiffness at that time to predict a patient's future at whatever year we decide. We can plot these probabilities for two years, three years, four years, whatever is of interest and say, based on your current status of your liver, based on the liver stiffness, your probability of having development of cirrhosis, for example, in a non-cirrhotic is, is X percent. In clinical practice, this is what we make the most use of, out of a biomarker like that. And that's probably one of my most clinically applicable takeaways from this study. Thanks, Linda. That was fantastic and really precise. Let me throw the floor open first. Stephen, Ian, Louise, questions, comments? Stephen Harrison. This is tremendous work that kind of builds off what you've already done. Just for the listenership, can you give us specific numbers that we can begin to burn into our brain based on all of this data you're generating that are the numbers we need to know relative to determining progression to cirrhosis? What's the right number for cirrhosis based on your work? Building off an MRE of five, for instance, and predicting the probability of decompensation at three years being 20%. If the MRE is eight, it's 40%. Did you see that that was validated in the work that you did subsequently? Just to maybe a little bit more, if you can give us some takeaway numbers that, that the audience should kind of try to burn into their brain based on your work? Sure. So if we were to look at what the predictive ability of LSM is in this specific paper that includes liver disease etiologies of any type, compared to when we look specifically at NAFLD, as we looked in that previous paper in CGH, the results are very comparable. To give a specific number, as you said, uh, for people who do not have cirrhosis, each liver stiffness range from 2 to, let's say, 5 gives you a 
over twofold increase in risk of cirrhosis in the future. So you can apply that difference from two to three, three to four. If they move up from one to the other, its hazard ratio is 2.38 to be exact, which is over two. In the NAFLD paper, it was 2.9, I think. So it was a little bit higher, but also in the two range. So I'd say the number to remember is each incremental increase in kilopascal by one by MRE increases the prediction of cirrhosis in the future by over twofold. For the cirrhotic population who is in a compensated stage, in this specific paper, each one kilopascal increased the risk of decompensation by 22%, which is very close to what we found in the NAFLD, which was about 30%. So yes, the numbers agreed, which was a good validation type of story in our mind as we look at different signals from LSM for different etiologies. I don't think there's a lot of a different message there. The bottom line is that liver stiffness gives us a piece of information that can be applied not only in NAFL, but overall in a broad type of liver disease. There is one other paper if we talk about subtypes of liver diseases, which is cholestatic liver disease, which my colleague, Dr. John Eaton, looked specifically at uh, that one specific population of PSC. It was a little bit of a different statistical analysis, but I think the message was similar. Liver stiffness gives you an individualized probability of cirrhosis or whatever outcome that would be based on the current liver stiffness. Okay. Alina, were there any confounding variables that would change those numbers? Let's just say, and you may not have this population, but if you were looking at Hispanics compared to Caucasians, you looked at women versus men over postmenopausal versus premenopausal. Were there any diabetics versus non-diabetics? Was there anything where that data didn't hold true? In other words, the twofold increased risk of progression to cirrhosis for every one KPA increase in a non-cirrhotic, and then the 22% rate of progression to decompensation in a cirrhotic. Was there anything that threw that off that I mentioned? We didn't have the luxury of looking at Hispanics, and that's, again, kind of the major thing that comes in every theme, except for maybe your Texas population where it's enriched with that. So if we find answers in subgroups, you are the person. Here, there are mostly Caucasians, non-Hispanic ethnicity, so we did not have that opportunity. We looked at sex as an independent predictor of cirrhosis, and that was not statistically significant. We did not look at diabetes specifically or to see if this prediction is different in diabetics versus non-diabetic, but that's a good point. I do not have that answer. That's all right. It doesn't take away from the paper at all. Before I turn it over to Ian or Louise for their questions, just one more tidbit. Since this comes from the Mayo Clinic, I feel like I'm okay to ask this question. If it were from my Texas cohort, maybe not so much, but did you look at genetic variances at all? PNPLA3, HSD17, beta 13, or any of the other? No. Another area with opportunities, how does genetic makeup impact these findings? This was clinical data. This was based on all the patients who underwent MRE through the routine clinical practice of liver disease estimation. So we do not have stored blood or serum or anything that's not part of the clinical information. Somebody might ask you that question eventually, so I thought I would just ask it on the podcast. This question will be solved as part of a prospective cohort, so we should have an answer about this as relates to MRE and liver stiffness, but not at this time. And now, back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We will be back next Wednesday, November 3rd, with another episode on an issue of critical importance to drug development and patient treatment in fatty liver diseases. I hope you'll join us then. 
Until then, stay safe. Surf on. See you on the podcast. <laughs>